재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 The Rock Scholar is once again at the mic. Rock Scholar is our little play on words, ROK, Republic of Korea. But today, maybe it works in both senses of the word as well, as we're going to get into some serious music discussion with a guy who brands himself online as the Korea nerd and every Saturday... He's our expat Intel voice. His name is Alex Sigrist. Hey, Alex. Hey, Kurt. How's it going? Going well. Another cool. week. A nice, bright, sunny start to the week. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, enjoying myself. Been uh, hanging out outside, um, playing with my cell phones nonstop. Got it out right now. Are you a I heard it's okay. <laughs> no, no. I'm just saying it's my uh, it's my natural human right to have the smoke <laughs> cell phone right <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm glad you're at least listening to the program. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> All right, and counting. So um, we're into the roots. You always do a deep drill for us into the roots yeah. of things that people kind of know superficially, yeah. but you bring it all up to the surface, and uh, everybody knows a thing or two about K-pop, Yeah, right? oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, for example, if I asked you, where did K-pop start? What's the most common answer you get? Well, I guess I'd have to go back to uh, Soteji. Correct, yeah, yeah, Soteji and the boys. And that's what everyone says, and I think, you know, it's, a, it's not a wrong answer in a way, uh, but it's just very... Superficial. What's fascinating to me is yeah. how Soteji um, migrated from being kind of a uh, a rock star, like a rebellion yeah. kind of, you know, rally right, right. teenage youth, and then kind of went into a more sort of, um, you know, hip hoppy, in sync-y kind of yeah. direction. Yeah, and he still did later on um, kind of meld everything together, including, you know, there's the first song even has that guitar rock in it, even though he's um, the non Adayo song. Uh, is kind of hip-hop. It's a mix of everything. And, yeah, most people, at least I would say most foreigners, um, don't really know about his rock and roll history. And he was connected as well through that. Uh, yeah. through that. It's interesting that uh, Koreans will let the same star kind of transition into a whole new genre. Usually, in other contexts, it's some other band or some other star that plots a different uh, course in a whole new music genre. But yeah. there, it's yeah. the same guy that did it. Absolutely, absolutely. So how do we get started in this sort of expose of K-pop? Well, today, as we always do, we're going to go into the thought experiment. But this one isn't going to be like a question in a way, but it's just to get us thinking a little bit when we talk about uh, this issue today. So let's go ahead and get into it right now. There's an article online, and I find it mildly amusing. That is, uh, it said, the history of K-pop started 20 years ago. Of course, anyone who knows about K-pop will agree and say K-pop started with Salty G and the Boys, but really, is that the best answer we have? But what was happening before that first song, Nan Arayo, premiered on national television? That would be like saying Christianity started at the birth of Jesus. Nope, nothing happened before that moment, according to Christian history. That doesn't make sense, does it? So there are events and situations, political climates, that lead to the founding of religions, and in this case, K-pop. 
So today, I'll try and discover the Old Testament of K-pop. So you're basically saying K-pop is the messiah that the world <laughs> needed. I was going to say Solteji is the messiah. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's true, though, in a way. Like, we, we, you mentioned it earlier. There was, there was uh, his background in rock, and there were events before it. There was the U.S. Uh, musical influence that was brought over by the armed forces. There were Korean bands before that that kind of dabbled in, let's say, um, there's like an all-girls group before it. I think it was the Ronettes. Yeah. So there was a lot of different influences before him, but he is kind of like the, the pivotal change, if you will, that brought in the new era, which is uh, in Christianity what people believe is Jesus brought in the new era of of the world. He will lead us into a new era. Let us follow Soteji. In a way, and sometimes... Uh, I guess Soteji was also rejected by many people in the same way that Jesus was, I guess. So. Oh, yeah. I think at this point, the Jesus metaphor for Soteji, we can probably set that one aside. We can stop that. And um, get into the influences. Yeah, you are absolutely. saying that, you know, these things don't happen in a vacuum. The no, tinder must not. be dry before the fire can catch. So what was the dry tinder back in the day in South Korea? Yeah, I guess I would have to say, let's start with historical influences. What was the situation that allowed for it to jump up? And I guess if I could put it into one word, it was youth rebellion. Rebellion would be the word. So this was uh, in the 80s, right? 80s, a pivotal decade Absolutely. here in South Korea on so many fronts. Yeah. Politically, we're you know, democratizing very right. painfully here. Mm-hmm. And um, not just the political dictatorship, but a very much a cultural dictatorship here in Korea Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. There are all the influences. The main one I can think of that, that sort of represents everything would certainly be curfew. Mm. I'm thinking back to uh, – I did a class on uh, the history of music in Korea, and they really, the professor mentioned stuff about how rock and roll really wasn't just you know American rock. It wasn't just rebelling against the man. It was rebelling – Hard. I mean, we're talking about simple things like long hair, staying out late at night, sure. being able to go out and kind of express yourself. And this was at the end. So the political climate was Korea had just kind of become much more economically powerful. So people, of course, had money. And the more powerful you become eventually, at least in the course of you know, modern history, you sort of move towards power to the people, a little yeah. more democratic style. And and this was around the time of the Gwangju Massacre, the, the Seoul Olympics. Um, you know, there was a lot of events leading to this. And so this era of rebellion for youth, and this is kind of my conjecture at this point, it kind of made it easier to accept that, that first Soteji yeah. song, which was in itself a rebellion from the mainstream of music that time. I think you, yeah, you make an understatement. You look at uh, the history of rock in the U.S. Let's let's just pick out, say, the fifties. Oh, sure. The sure. rebellion was, uh, you know, Mom, I want to wear poodle skirts and I want to, <laughs> you know, do the sock hop and all Absolutely. this stuff. Here in Korea, it's you know, I don't want to be shot when I go to protest or Absolutely, I yeah. want to be out after eight p.m. at night and I don't want to be locked up and studying and all of that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of rage in the protest here mm-hmm. in the rebellion in the 80s, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. So let's take a look at at one example here, and this will lead back to an interesting connection later on. But do you know, uh, have you heard of Shin Dae-chul? He's a son of Shin Jong-hyun, who was um, considered the godfather of Korean rock music. He's like a guitarist? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So the the band was called Shin Na-wi, and this was, uh, like I said, Shin Dae-chul. And he was claiming at the time that um, the U.S. Army bases, this is where rock was 
born in a mm. way. Korean rock was born since Surely. at the tub, you know, at the time Korean clubs were only playing stuff like t- trot, trot, tango, and... any kind of yeah, <laughs> right, music like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. yeah, and the Koreans are starting to interact with uh, you know black musicians, black mm-hmm. people, full Absolutely. stop, and hearing what's coming over and what they're playing on, you know, in yeah. terms of tunes. So yeah, uh, definitely a, a genesis of uh, mm-hmm. interaction there. And what was interesting here is so obviously they have the um, there's the rock band, so the this this young kid named uh, Hyunchol started let's say he was a he was in some some amateur rock bands at the time, and that's when at age seventeen he took the name So Te Ji, okay, and he was recruited into this heavy metal band um, Shin Nawi. And this is about the time when he was dropping out of school because he was you know he was very rebellious in a way. You mean watch the original music video? It's not quite the most dangerous man in the world, but yeah. no, no. But, but there's an energy there, isn't there? There is an energy, and and even just I think watching that first TV special, if you go back and see that one, there is that kind of rebellious energy, especially considering like he didn't quite get the reception on live TV that I say he would. Kind of in hindsight, looking today at how much influence he have has on the industry. So, Alex, when I watch your typical K-pop video nowadays. The first adjective that comes to my mind is not rebellious. Oh, um, no. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yes. so I'm not seeing youth rebellion there. So how do we build a bridge from this uh, you know, rebellious rock, hard-grinding music mm-hmm. of Soteji in the early 80s to something more present? Yeah, so what happens in pop music in general um, is that pop music kind of – it just – absorbs people or it absorbs ideas it absorbs influence and so in a way it sort of absorbed Soteji but uh-huh. then spit him back out because he continued on and he kept trying to be a little out there trying to blend different styles and he wasn't always accepted for what he put out there so they sort of you know musicians kind of jumped on this this new wave they grabbed it but then they sort of spit him out a little bit, Soteji. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at where this influence also came from. So obviously, Soteji is the Big Bang, the moment that everything popped out. But where does it come from? Because I think most people in the U.S. Uh, and probably other foreigners as well would be saying, K-pop, it's basically like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, and if they never died out, right? But it's missing something, isn't it? I mean, obviously, um, there's something else that's not there because every song kind of has that hip-hop element to it in Korea. For sure. Even the ones that are very upbeat and stuff, every band seems to have a rapper. Every yeah. There's a little bit of soul influence. And so we you have, have sort go, of like yeah. a bell curve in the middle where it all Absolutely. sounds like one thing and then there are fringe <laughs> elements on either side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there are common elements like uh, sort of American-accented rapping Korean, you know, yeah. and uh, a definite sort of hip-hop uh, beat and attitude. Yeah, and so you mentioned earlier um, that we're talking about U.S. Army bases. This is the first time that black culture was kind of Koreans were able to meet it. But there is another way that Koreans were able to experience hip-hop culture. And this is through the diaspora. This is the Koreans who maybe left and went towards the United States, went to L.A., went to New York. Okay. So let's go back to Salteji's breakout hit. Uh, listen to it a little bit, and then I'm going to compare it to another song that was from East Coast hip-hop. So here is that little bit of Nan Arayo. So this is uh, Soteji and the boys. This is when he's transitioning into hip-hop, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is that that kind of first breakout hit. And I was listening to it, and I was trying to do the research for today. And I 
something struck me. Someone in the background keeps going, East Coast. And I was like, wait a second, wait a second. I'm going to have to. <laughs> so I started like looking through it. And I, I had, um, I've heard of this band in passing, but I didn't know much about them. There's another band called Kid and Play. You know Kid and Play? Oh, yeah. That's like ancient history, but I, <laughs> I know Kid and Play, yeah. And so I started looking through their videos, and I started noticing some similarities. Now, not, not copying word for word or anything like that, but there was certainly a lot of influence. So just, again, briefly, we'll play a little bit of this Kid and Play song. Uh, it's called Funhouse from 1990. Miles around to check out the sound. Watch the walls come tumbling down. Kid and play the perfect team. Now it's time to let off. Kid and Play, they made some funny movies. They oh, were, yeah. yeah. A couple of uh, comedy movies. Mm. Um, and if you've, have you ever seen Kid and Play? Uh, in like pictures. Oh yeah, sure, sure. The 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 real impressive thing is the hair. hair altitude yeah. on uh, play. I think it was. I don't know how that stayed up there, but I was looking at the videos and just seeing a lot of similarities to the way that they dance, sort of in the middle of songs as well. Mm. Now, Kid and Play is only two. It's Kid and Play, play obviously, and and Soltiji and the Boys. There were three of them, but sort of those dance moves, his arm swinging motions, yeah. were very very similar. So clearly, there is some influence there. So Soltiji, of course, got. Um, possibly some influence from East Coast rap, but there was also West Coast rap, where a lot, or in hip hop as well. There was a lot of Koreans living in LA at the time, right? Okay. And there's huge African American populations, and Koreans and African Americans were close together at that time. They they were living close together. They were in the same communities. Um, a lot of Koreans were owned maybe grocery stores in those areas, and so when you have two cultures close together, there's going to be some exchanging of cultures. And so you see a lot of influence from Korean, or sorry, from hip hop, as well as you know R and B as well. And so Koreans would they would send their mixtapes back to friends and relatives, maybe back home. Sure. And that's how you could start the influence as well. And there's a couple other, let's say, people Koreans who were in America that came back. Have you heard of the band Solid? Quite popular in the '90s uh, here in Korea. Solid, yeah. I, I have not. Okay, so they were they were the first like R and B group in Korea. Um, there was a uh, Yohan Kim, George Kim, and uh, his English name was Jae Jung or okay. uh, Jung Jae Yoon, and they came in the early '90s as well. And this is where maybe they sort of stole a little bit of thunder from Solteji, and like it sort of go it went into yes, there's hip hop, but there's elements of R and B that started coming in, and there's a lot of soul. You can kind of almost feel the influence of it in a way in Korean music, even to, to uh, today as well. I get a sense that in the early days of hip-hop, it was um, stuff like R&B and hip-hop is titrating into the scene and people are, you know, kind of, uh, you know, interested in, um, I should mention by way of trivia, uh, we have uh, a host at TBS, yes, FM, yes. Ministry of K-pop yes, is yes. the program, and that features Yo- Johan Kim. Yeah, jo- or George. Uh, George yeah, Kim. Yo- oh, yeah, Johan. Solid, yeah. Yes. Johan. Mm. So, yeah, um... But so, uh, w- at what point did they start scientifically modeling? Because I get the feeling <laughs> that modern hip- modern K-pop literally looks at, okay, who's doing what in the U.S. or possibly elsewhere? And let me scientifically benchmark that and ah. introduce it into the scene here. It's become an incredible industrial machine. It has, it has. And there's no way to ignore the uh, the effects of, let's say, uh, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. I mean, this was a huge era in the U.S., but there is something about it, though, that is interesting when it comes to talking about 
how you produce music. There's two separate. Now I'm going a little off script here, but there's there's two separate ways that we produce music in Korea uh, as well as the U.S. In the U.S., you have to sort of I'm going to say you have to fake originality. You you can't you have to pretend you're you're new, you're experimental, because otherwise the U.S. rejects it. That's why Backstreet Boys and NSYNC after that it sort of the boy band scene died very quickly. Right. But in Korea, there's a little bit less of that individualism emphasis, a more of a collectivist approach to it. And so you're able to, let's say, find that what scientifically works mm-hmm. and just repeat it and do it over and over again. And you see that a lot. Um, you see it in individuals, too. When Psy had his, I, I would say, the, well, Gangnam Style, when that yeah. hit came out, his next two vid- videos were almost the same. Yeah. The songs were almost the same. <laughs> so and should- so you can repeat it. Um, because there's a little more acceptance of it here. In the U.S., you have to... Now, the U.S. is al- also very much um, produced. It's a, it, it's a factory system as well. Well, and but, the, the seeds of that are, of course, in um, Motown. Oh, uh, yeah, sure, you know, sure. And Barry Gordy and the factory approach to mm-hmm. um, taking in talented people but who aren't polished yet and yep. don't have the moves and don't have the uh, self-esteem and the sort of the behavior of a star Absolutely. and infusing them with all of that and letting them loose on the market <laughs> that's the k-pop model nowadays yeah and and in a way it works um we'll see what happens i don't actually know what will happen to k-pop in the next three to four years but it still seems to be the approach that many are taking although there are changes now so let's go back to the uh to kind of bring it all together a little bit. So we talked about, of course, the Age of Rebellion. We talked about Soteji. And let's not forget that, in a way, um, not to be too racially motivated here, but if you are enjoying black music at a time when maybe that culture wasn't, you know, you weren't used to it in Korea, that in itself can be a form and of in the rebellion. United, of and in, course, in, in the, the States US as, as well. well. It's rebellion. Yeah. Um, you know, you couldn't... That was the only way you could possibly interact at a certain phase of history in the USA. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that uh, the Rolling Stones, um, you know, Keith Richards wrote uh, this biography called Life. And they would basically, as Brits, as young, long-haired Brits, they would come over and travel through the Deep South and go to all of these sort of black um, mm-hmm. bars and taverns and listen to their music and imitate and jam. And they had a freedom to do that that uh, young white kids in America, American kids, might not have had at the time. They'd have mm-hmm. been uh, extremely punished for that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also interesting. It kind of links our two pop music industry scenes in a way. And um, this is kind of unfortunate in a way, but... In, in in a large sense, pop music in Korea and the United States largely, I don't want to say stole, but borrowed from black culture. And it is, you know, for, whether oh, it's talking about... Oh, it. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can say that. Rock and roll. Yeah, of course. So the boy bands themselves, even yeah. the U.S., have a little bit of that element, too, in Korea as well. And so that actually kind of uniquely binds the U.S. and Korean pop industries together. And all these so these... Kyopo, uh, like, well, the uh, diaspora that yeah. went abroad and came back. There are, and there's also ones who intentionally came back to join the music scene as well, and you still see that today. Yeah. So they're bringing back all their influences, and so we have two things that we kind of brought together today, which is the Big Bang moment, which was, of course, that song. What led to that? What were the circumstances? And also, what made Korean pop give its its little flavor, if yeah. you will. Well, we just had an interesting discussion the other week with uh, two African-American ladies who sing in Korean. Their name is Coco Avenue. And what they say they want to do is improve the whole K-pop conversation about cultural appropriation and Mm -hmm. what you're borrowing and what context you do it. So I'm really interested to see how K-pop will evolve in terms of generating its own memes, a little bit more native Korean kind of uh, Mm -hmm. content without just sort of 
plucking African-American experiences off of a shelf and weaving it into K-pop. Yeah. I think that um, originality is going to rise as K-pop I, goes forward. I agree. We have that coming up, too. All righty. The rock scholar, almost in the literal sense of the term, Alex, <laughs> thank you very much. Oh, thanks. Always a pleasure. And Koreascape is produced by E.Q. Huang. Associate production is done by Jamie Lee, writing by GP1. I'm Kurt Asian. Remember to follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Tomorrow we're back with our Tuesday segments, Did You Know and Why Here? Stay tuned. Amy in the Morning is coming up next here in Seoul. If you're in Gwangju or Yosu, Hello Korea is up next.